0: This is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. I have notes today, which Father Gregory says makes me look like a news anchor. Here's a fun piece of Father Patrick trivia. I'm ready. In eighth grade, yes. I did the Friday morning television announcements. hmm with my classmate, Erica Prudlow. That's tremendous. I was the St. Charles Borromeo news anchor.
1: That's awesome. In sixth grade, student council was responsible on Fridays for giving a weekly update. And I was responsible, I think, for like music, sports, and something else, but I was woefully negligent. And as a result of which, I chose as a song, Willennium by Will Smith, because after Big Daddy or Big... Mm -hmm. Big never mind. Big Willie style, that was it. Yeah. I thought that everything that he touched just turned to gold. But it contained a swear word, which I did not pre-vet. So I just pumped a swear word over the <laughs> inner com of my of my grammar school. And for that reason I was suspended.
0: Not from the school, but from the news. So yeah. Uh, well, it was a short lived career. It was. I'm yeah. sure you would have been great. I thank you for that. There yeah. would have been more tomism in the news <laughs> had you been able to continue doing it.
1: Yeah, I think I got to a certain sports announcement and realized that the results I was reporting were way out of date, and <laughs> then I just resorted to my typical, like, and stuff happened, and people did things, and it's going to be great, uh, which is typically how I introduce people at conferences when they have a competence in the hard sciences, because mm. I've learned that not only can I not pronounce the names of their articles, I can't even pronounce the names of the journals in which they publish their articles, so I'm just like, ah, science stuff in science thing. <laughs> So that also um, incurred the wrath of those competent in such matters.
0: I mean, news used to be really fun before Twitter. <laughs> I mean, X. <laughs> yeah. And now, awesome And story. now being a journalist just means being on Twitter all the time. Right. Or being on X all the time. Right. So in this universe, it's not possible to have outdated information like that. Whereas it was in the year 2000. It was. Yeah, it was in the second millennium. Um,
1: yeah, when was that? Sixth grade. When did we graduate high school? 2006. Yeah, so
0: that was 1999. Dude, the golden years. Holy <laughs> smokes. We were so young. Laissez les bons temps rouler. Exactement. Speaking of letting the good times roll, uh, I want to take an opportunity, take a moment to have the opportunity to talk <laughs> about a really great program that's going to be happening this spring for priests. So if you're a priest listener to God's Planning, this announcement is particularly for you. Uh, There are an amazing set of conferences put on by the St. Paul Center um, in Steubenville, which is a based apostle Steubenville-based apostolate, that is, uh, that is dedicated to serving clergy and laity, um, but principally clergy and growing in their knowledge and love of sacred scripture. And they do these phenomenal retreats that that priests can attend. Uh, So in particularly, the St. Paul Center believes in supporting priests um, by leading them through scripture so that they can base, reground, uh, really cultivate their priestly ministry through their love of, of the Bible, of, of the Word. So they host three annual conferences each year, uh, and these are some of the largest conferences of priests in the world. Um, they're, they're very successful. They get, they get a, a lot of men together, and they're an opportunity for priests to join world-class presenters like Dr. Scott Hahn, like Dr. John Bergsma for four days of engaging talks, scriptural formation, fellowship with their brother priests, and spiritual renewal. So coming up this year, the St. Paul Center is hosting conferences in Austin, Texas, in April. So if you're a priest in the Northern Hemisphere, being in Austin, Texas, in April sounds like a pretty good idea. I'm talking to you, you guys in Duluth, you guys in North Dakota. So so the first set is in uh, the first set of conferences in Austin, Texas, and in April, and in Wheeling, West Virginia, in July, and those uh, the West that. Those centers in uh, Wheeling are really beautiful as well, actually. So the Yeah, that would be great to be out there. Nice. So if you're a priest, consider taking advantage of this opportunity to nourish your vocation. Visit com slash priests. That's Paulcenter.com slash priests to find more information and sign up today. If you're a layperson and you'd like to give a priest in your life the gift of spiritual renewal this year, consider sharing this information tell him about these conferences, encourage him to go, or even sponsor your priest registration. So if you want to do something for your priest this year and you're not sure what to do for him, consider suggesting that he go on this retreat and make it possible for him, pay for it for him. And you can you can find all this information, again, at stpaulcenter.com slash priests. You
1: do know that the Northern Hemisphere goes all the way down
0: to, like, Ecuador, right? Nope. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it was like... Austin, Texas, that seems vaguely Southern, Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> um, let's go for it. <laughs> that was you. exactly my train of thought.
0: <laughs> Perfect. <clears throat> well, today, uh, and actually uh, talking about this priesthood conference is a, is a pretty good way to begin this episode because we're, we want to introduce you to one of our great uh, priest spiritual mentors, uh, Dom Eugene Boylan. I love the, using the Dom, the mm-hmm. formal uh, the, the formal monastic What would you call that? It's not really a title form of address. Yeah.
1: It's like somewhere between a title and an honorific. It's a Yeah, That's right. So Friar Gregory Pine. Yeah, exactly. Dom Eugene Boylan. Uh Fra Gregory. Fra Gregorio. Exactly, yeah. If I were like a plotting political type friar in southern Italy in the late 19th century, then I would go by such a name. There might be other circumstances in which I would take that mantle on,
0: but... Yeah, as it, that as day it, is not today. No, that day is not today. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Boylan um, is, I think, one of the most important spiritual authors in the 20th century. Other other people would share this view too. So he died in 1964, which is kind of interesting. So right after the Second Vatican Council is open. So um, he's Irish, which is part of his genius. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's an actual genius. He studied physics at university, um, which. Father Bonaventure, I think, would really appreciate. So that means that he actually knows real things. Didn't study, like, French literature like I did. Well, (laughs) Did did something useful. I bet Eugene Boylan would know what the Northern Hemisphere is. He might, yeah. Father Bonaventure, though, he he ultimately defers to medical doctors. Because,
1: like, when he received his doctorate, and people were like, oh, my gosh, you know, Dr. Chapman, he's like, listen, can't
0: deliver a baby, still doesn't count. You know, I was like, that's, you know, sensible. Uh, You were telling me that he's a very accomplished musician. So, I mean, that he had classical
1: training in music and that he said in one of his conferences to the brethren at Conyers, Georgia, that he wished he had had no musical formation because it would have made his life in
0: in religion infinitely less painful. (laughs) So we mentioned he's a monk. Um, He entered the Cistercian Monastery at Mount St. Joseph uh, in County Tipperary. In 1931 so he was professed in 1936 and then uh, as I said died in um, 1964 so dur- during those intervening years he became one of the most highly sought after retreat masters he's published a number of books um, this tremendous lover had a global reception I don't know how many languages that's been translated into some number difficulties in mental prayer has been translated in nine languages that's nice. a phenomenal book on prayer um, the conferences that you were referring to, I think, are published under the title of "Partnership with Christ," mm-hmm. um, and that that has a kind of recent edition from Cistercian Publications. Um, so, so he's authored, and, and then there are many books besides these, but those those I think are kind of the big three. Yep. Um, is there another title you want to name? I mean, I like the for priests specifically,
1: "Let Priest Way to God," oh, which is very Way beautiful. It's yeah. like religious life, but with an emphasis <laughs> on sacrifice. And sensible counsel. That's so right. That's and his.
0: yelling at diocesan priests for smoking too many cigarettes and reading too many newspapers. Fascinating, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he's, he's got some gems in that book. Yeah. Um. Yes. Yeah, so, so so that's a kind of sense of some of his uh, some of his writing, uh, uh, of his influence. Um. Yeah. So let's try. Let's dive in. What is it that you really love, Father Gregory, about Dom Boylan?
1: Yeah, I would say the most basic insight of his that I love uh, is that the life begets transformation in Christ. So he, he tells a story of when he was a novice. His novice master did not permit the brethren to be in the chapel apart from the hours stated in their orarium mm-hmm. uh, and apart from the assigned times of mental prayer, but for five minutes. And that might seem strange because you're like, well, you're a religious, you should take all of your free time and spend it in the chapel. But what their novice master wanted to communicate at some level was that, no, right? You signed up for the Cistercian life, Uh, which entails common choral office, and mental prayer, and all these various things. But you can't treat the chapel as the only holy place in your life, as if to say that other places in your life aren't holy, and that you're either just acquitting yourself of whatever duty awaits you in the refectory, or you're getting down to the serious business of transformation in Christ. And, and so they were forbidden from being in the chapel, but for five minutes extra each day, so that they would have to confront the fact that Christ is available to them in all of the goings-on of their religious profession, and that they need to seek Him there. Because I think, you know, especially in the 21st century, a lot of us are haunted by the fear that, that our real life is elsewhere, that it's somehow escaping us or eluding us, or if we but had more in the way of spiritual competence, then we could, you know, crack the code or unlock the... The, the inner sanctum of spiritual transcendence, but that's just not true. It's like your real life is here, it's in front of you, you just have to confront it and ask the Lord to yield, not like the meaning of it as if you were mining for meaning, but like yield the grace of it so that way you could be you know, present to the Lord, present to those whom you love, and then be about the business of, of conversion. So I just love the sensibilities that it all matters not to burden you with expectation, but to free you from a kind of Gnosticism which would look elsewhere for the meaning of your life.
0: In difficulties in mental prayer, he writes, the continuous and intimate presence of Jesus in our hearts means that no place or occupation is an obstacle to prayer. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the continuous and intimate presence of Jesus in our hearts means that no place or occupation is an obstacle to prayer. We're not compelled to go outside ourselves to find the God to whom we wish to speak. We are not compelled to hide our working clothes, so to speak, nor to cease from our weekday labors, before we put ourselves in his presence. Not only, Boylan says, is he already present wherever we may be, but he is actually sharing our work, so that our work is rather a means of prayer than an obstacle to it. Yeah. And
1: that's like the keen insight is that, so your work is not a replacement for prayer, but if your work is an overflow of prayer, or if it's an expression of prayer or concretization of prayer, any of those things, then it's blessed. Right? So I think a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't possibly dedicate X number of minutes to prayer on account of the fact that I have these various important duties, some of which are holy duties to equip myself of. People don't talk like that. I only talk like that. People would be like, I can't pray that much. That's crazy. I'm busy, even cool busy. Um, but what Boylan is saying is no, right? You have to Hold the gaze of Christ, and in holding the gaze of Christ, nothing can deflect you from your purpose. And then you can seek His face in all of these various goings on without losing, rec- you know, like your recollected state or without losing your consciousness or awareness of God's presence and of specifically His blessing of whatever task lays ready at hand. So I think that, that's super powerful because, you know, life, life can be sad, but it needn't be lonely, right? in the acute, isolated sense of, you know, without recourse to the Most High God. And I think he gives us, yeah, some, some sweet insights, which help us, ha- you know, to appreciate that.
0: One of the themes that I'm really struck by is just the way that he talks about God's love. It's, it's incredible. I, I don't think there's someone who manages to do this the way that Boylan does. I, I think it's singular. Uh, I think it's exceptional. I think it's very profound, and it's deeply consoling. Mm-hmm. Um, so one should get a sense of this because the man named his great work "This Tremendous Lover." But even still, um, when you when you open that book and you start looking through it and you page through the number of times he starts talking about God's love, it's deeply it's deeply meaningful and um, and deeply pr- profound. So some of, some of my great hits on love from this tremendous lover. It would be a grievous error, he says. To conceive the love of God as anything which essentially involves sense, emotion, or feeling. The love of God lies in the grace aided will. It presupposes the intellect insofar as the will needs its cooperation to love, for the will is a blind faculty. But in practice, one need only attend to the will. Mm, I love that. A very high degree of love of God is quite compatible with an absence of any feeling of emotion and even with the presence of a feeling of distaste for the service of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so this, and this is very early on, by the way, this is one of the first pages of this tremendous lover mm-hmm. that, that he lays out this this plan. So it shows uh, that Boylan has a profound understanding of human anthropology, understands who human beings are, he understands us. He's talking about the, the interface of our intellect, of our will, and what it means to seek after God, even when, when those faculties, um, when those faculties need to be reined in, so to speak, when they need to be commanded to seek God. And I think that's so important because there are so many times in the pursuit of religion where we're just not feeling it, where, where, we're, where we're feeling tired, where the sin of Acharya just sneaks in and we kind of sorrow in the face of holy things. And we need to rekindle the, the fire, the desire to want to be with him. And Boylan here is talking about how, uh, that, that, that that point in our life is not actually indicative of god's love for us or our love for god a very high degree of love of god is quite compatible with an absence of any feeling of emotion he says or even with the presence of a feeling of distaste for the service of god mm. which is why it's so important to go to mass <laughs> so important to be faithful to our prayers um uh, to the to the divine office to all the obligations of our life even when we're when we're just not feeling it yeah
1: now, it's interesting, whenever you read a spiritual author, you read that spiritual author in light of his or her nature and nurture, you know, like in light of his or her background, um, you know, cultural, societal commitments, particular view into the life of the Church. And so, you know, here's a guy living in the 20th century of Irish descent. He's often, uh, he's, he was the prior or, you know, like the superior abbot, I've forgotten exactly the language, of a variety of different communities. like russ criaby and then there was one in australia where he was there for a time and then but so like he had various experiences of one being a retreat master but two being a superior um and so he but he has this real capacity for the humanity of others a kind of knack for the humanity of others and even while you might say ah he's irish you know he had his emotions surgically removed at a young age and so we can expect him to say stark things like we just heard red but it's not it's not that i think it's like on the one hand we expect too much of ourselves Interiorly, because we expect all the feelings and all the thoughts and all the experiences. But on the other, like on the other hand, we don't expect enough of ourselves because we don't actually believe in the grandeur of our our choice for God. That isn't to lean wholly and entirely on the choice and say it's all that matters and nothing else does. Um, but. You know, like forgiveness, for instance, if you want to forgive somebody, you have to choose to forgive that person, and then choose to forgive that person, and then choose to forgive that person. And the love will come in turn, but it'll involve just a lot of healing over the course of days and weeks and months, such that it, you know, trickles down into your thoughts, into your feelings, into your very body. And so he's able to identify for us this very simple spiritual principle, this spiritual insight, that the direction of your heart is what ultimately counts, to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, which is to say... To choose God for your end, to seek to direct all of your actions thereunto, uh, habitually at the very least, but actually, or you know, throughout the course of your day and ultimately in eternity, and so that can that can liberate us from, you know, like weak or kind of febrile expectations on the one hand, but then on the other hand, like these kind of false high expectations which might
0: otherwise trip us up. There's some points in the text that are that are downright moving. Uh, so so try so try this one. This is a little bit further on in this tremendous lover. We must remember that his love for men is not merely a love for humanity in general. God is in love with you, with each human individual, personally and particularly. It's essential to remember that fact. Each of us can rightly regard the whole of our Lord's heart and interest as centered on our own self. This is, that that is, that is radical. Uh, and the way that he is able to, the way that he is able to draw Christ very near, uh, to the reader, I think is part of why why his, why his books are so profound, right? The way that he can just speak to us and say, no, uh, the whole of, the whole of salvation is worked out in a way, not just for, for every man, but for you in particular, right? It's like the, the point that Aquinas makes, um, uh, when Christ is dying on the cross, he's thinking of not humans in general, but each particular human, which is an extraordinary claim. Yeah. And so I, so I hear that echoed in, in Boylan um, when he's talking about how, how radically particular God's love is, actually. Yeah. And, and that, can be, that can be really tough to embrace, right? It's easier to think, oh, God would love... It can be easy to think, rather, that, that God would love someone else more than he loves me. And Boylan is insisting no quite the opposite. God, God, really, loves, God really loves you.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's interesting, too, like a lot of his spiritual counsel uh, with respect to you know, the spiritual life, It centers on our response to that, our recognition of it on the one hand, but then also our reception of it. And so like something that I really love that he teaches consistently is that by describing mental prayer in the way that we have for the last however many years, we've actually done a disservice to practitioners thereof, because it sounds like a technique, it sounds like a method, uh, whereby you try to um, kind of produce, as it were, interior states or manufacture interior states. But he says, let's just break it out into three simple steps, each of which has its own integrity. The first, he says, is reading, right, which is a kind of medium of encounter. So you've got the Word, you think about the Word of God here most particularly, but also spiritual authors who mediate the Word of God to you. And then you're, you're just kind of brought into contact with that Word, which furnishes you in prayer and study with kind of material on which to, to work. And then he says this second stage, which is often left out of the equation, which is reflecting says, you, you should think about it, right you should spend time with it, you should let it wash over you, you should, you know, kind of work the fabric of these texts through your hands until you identify maybe imperfections or snags or knots that you can then focus on further. And then, he says, you got praying. So there's the sense that we need to encounter this word, it needs to be like brought to bear on our lives with frequency, right? With with tenderness, with affection. But then we need to think about it. Just like give it space. We're human beings. We're for knowing and for loving, and that's how we express our human dignity through our human you know operation. But we need to leave time for it because we can't just be hustling from uh, you know step one, step two, step three, step four of Lexio Divina because we have some religious duty to acquit. It's like no, this is about encountering the love of God, and it's going to assume the dimensions of your encounter with God. Not to say that this is all hyper-particularized and that nothing can be compared, blah, blah, blah. But it is to say, you need to leave space for that. So if you're constantly hounded by demands and, you know, exhausted to the marrow of your bone, you're just not going to have the bandwidth to know that love and then to thrill at that love and then to love in turn. And so for him, praying is a matter of having encountered the Word and then having given space to the Word, you know, for whatever it wants to do in your life. You can then... You know, have your heart, as it were, impressed by that encounter. So I love that, like what what he says here in the kind of speculative order corresponds to what he says in the practical order, when it when it comes to our our encounter with the Lord God.
0: In partnership with Christ, the retreat he gave uh, in uh, uh, here in the U.S. He says there's a natural development in friendship with the Lord that manifests itself in prayer. You may tend to talk a lot in the beginning, and I think this is what you're getting at, Father Gregory. You may tend to talk a lot in the beginning, but gradually you are in absolute silence with our Lord. That is the normal development. Mm -hmm. And elsewhere, so in this tremendous lover, he says that silence alone is eloquent, and a smile, even a smile of the heart can speak volumes. Or again, in another place in this tremendous lover, he says, the really spiritual man is known by the kindness of his speech and still more by the kindness of his silence. He is always ready to find pity and sympathy for everyone, and so there's there's a kind of trajectory there that that uh, that that I think could be planned out, right? About how how what you're suggesting informs prayer, and then the shape of our life it spills over from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, being able to just be with God and be be happy there, be be with God in silence, um, uh, insisting that it's eloquent, that it's not a cold thing, that it's a warm thing, um, fills over spills over into life. Um, Boylan says. Uh, in, in such a way that it, it makes a man kind and compassionate and um, ready ready to pity others. Yeah, and
1: again, you know, he was charged with the governance of these big monasteries, which were like, you know, small villages of highly motivated, probably perfectionistic men driven to the service of God who retained their human weaknesses or defects or excesses of character. And so he's thinking particularly about, like, how the love of God um, has how, how it takes shape in a human community which human community is ordered to that perfection but still working its way towards it um, and so this idea of like that our our relationship with God is often very simple right modest hidden secret all that uh, it can give us a kind of space for encounter with the other two that's patient that's merciful that's kind um, because I think that if we're all just driven in our relationship with the Lord, seeking to derive from it certain spiritual fruits or benchmarks of, you know, uh, like the heights of perfection, then we're just going to grind ourselves and grind others up in a dread progress, which may or may not be in correspondence with the grace that God is giving. And so I think he's saying, like, you know, the Lord takes the, takes the initiative, and we're here to respond to that initiative in simplicity and in humility. And then to kind of reverence that work in the lives of the others with whom we live, facilitate it, you know, encourage it in small ways, but just simply to be to be present to the Lord, you know, like we can't we can't heighten all of these um, demands or or strain all of these relationships in a way that doesn't actually correspond with with reality.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where I'm worrying about our sins, worrying about our history, worrying about our temperament, worrying about our character, worrying about all these things that actually inhibit. The way that God wants to wants to love us and the things that God can and will do in our lives, right? Um, because for for Boylan, the point is that God's God's love is infinite, and all you have to do is make space for it and l- let it let it work, and let let Him form you. Because in the end, that that's all that's all the Lord wants is for you to know His love and to return it back to Him. Um, and I, I think that's a that's a really fundamental point in His writing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's. There's a great simplicity and a great, I think the words that I come back to are simplicity and humility. It's very masculine, you know, so there's an assertiveness to it. Mm -hmm. It's like this is true and this is false. Or, you know, this is the way forward and this is the way backward. Uh, And yet there's this real kind of tender compassion for human weakness and human woundedness. And then just a kind of patience, as it were, or um, a spirit of accommodation, as as it were. for the human process and the human progress, which inevitably takes time and occupies space and
0: looks a lot sillier than we could have formerly imagined. So by way of conclusion, if someone wanted to get into Boylan, if they wanted to say, okay, I want to get to know this man and allow his spirituality to begin to influence mine, where would you recommend they start? I'd recommend Difficulties in Mental Prayer. Uh, Ooh, interesting.
1: Because it's short, it's simple. I think it corresponds to our experience. This Tremendous Lover lover is more of a dogmatic treatise, Mm -hmm. so obviously application in the spiritual life, but it's more of the truths which inform our spiritual life, which I think people uh, won't immediately identify with or immediately identify their correspondence with their lives. It obviously does correspond. It obviously does inform. But I think I'd say start with difficulties in mental prayer and then read This Tremendous Lover. And by that point, if you're hooked, then you're going to do more difficulties in mental prayer Partnership in Christ, and then Priestly to God, I think everybody can benefit from that. But um, obviously priests will have more in there that they identify with.
0: A number of his books are available in different Catholic publishers and reprint. You can also find them for free on Internet Archive. Oh, nice. So if you're someone that wants to check out Boylan and and just see, like, well, is this something that's going to work at all for me, um, head over to Internet Archive, and you can find certainly Difficulties in Mental Prayer, but a number of his books there. That's right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to this episode of God's Planning. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Like, subscribe, and leave a five star review for all of our content. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, please follow the link in the description. You can also follow links in our show notes to shop God's Planning merch and to get information on upcoming God's Planning events. We encourage you to check out, um, like we said at the top of the episode, everything that the St. Paul Center is doing, especially for priests um, to know and to love the scriptures in their lives. Until next time, friends, thanks for tuning in. Know of our prayers for you. God bless.
1: Paul Bonaventure, if you had the choice between holding a toad and subscribing to a YouTube channel, what would you choose?
0: Subscribe to a toad holding a YouTube channel.
1: Oh my gosh. Please subscribe to a toad holding a YouTube channel, especially if it's ours. Cheers.